amazing. Um, I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here at Kairos. Um, we're wrapping up a series called Things You Don't Need to Pray About. Yes, I understand that's kind of tongue-in-cheek, um, but A.W. Tozer said this, prayer is no substitute for obedience. And so we're looking at some core competencies that Jesus asked his followers to have in his life, and you really don't need to pray about them, you just need to do it. Yes, you need to pray about when, where, and why, but the what, absolutely not. We just got to engage and pray that his giftedness and his power will come as we choose to step out on faith. So we talked about sharing our faith. When was the last time you shared your faith with someone who didn't share your faith in such a way that they wanted you to share more? We talked about giving. We talked about taking the Lord's Supper. And tonight, I simply want to talk to you about being a part of a community. Or, as the Bible describes it, ecclesia, the gathering, or as we translate it, the church. Now, I know already I can see it on your faces, right? I'm not going to be a part of the organized religious industrial complex. I'm not funding bills and guys and girls on power trips to just squander the kingdom resources that God has given to them. It's the opiate for the masses. It's done more harm than good throughout generations. I get it. Fair point. But let's agree to open up Scripture and see if we can't discover what the core identity of God's church, his bride, the community, the spiritual family of God was supposed to have in common. And some of you are just like, oh my gosh, we're talking about being part of community and part of church. You're like, dude, I've been in church since I was sucking on amniotic fluid in my mother's womb. I'm here like nine times a week, got it. Church attendance, boom. Maybe for you tonight, maybe it's more than a participation in a religious service. Maybe it's actually an integrated way of life. And coming together with the church is no longer a substitute for your relationship with God, but it's actually a celebration of what's happening every single day in your life. So we're in Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'll pray for us as we're finding our text for tonight. Holy Spirit... We need eyes to see and ears to hear. And then, to be honest with you, we're going to need courage to do with what we've seen and what we've heard. Jesus, we need you to go before us in this text and make a way. And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. So we're in Acts chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. So did you catch it? They're sharing. They're sharing learning. They're sharing meals. They're sharing fellowship. They're sharing friendship. They're sharing prayer requests. 
all held in common. It's incredible to read back here. So just for a little context, Acts is actually Luke part deux, okay? So Luke wrote out the gospel of Luke. He ran out of scroll room. He's like, this is so good. I need to write a sequel. This is it, all right? Same author, new book, new time. He got done writing about the man named Jesus Christ who was the revealed son of God, who lived a sinless life, who died and was resurrected and said, I'm coming again and I'm gonna commission you guys to make disciples and start a spiritual family, the likes of which has never been seen before. And he's like, this is now how it happens. And it's unbelievable, right? All of a sudden the Holy Spirit drops and no longer is it just for prophets with weird haircuts and dress styles and disgruntled judges. Every son and daughter of God through Jesus gets access to the Holy Spirit. Salvation history is now announced in a new inauguration of the age of the Spirit and it's unifying the believers together in an unbelievable way with an undeniable message. And that is Jesus is the Son of God and because His Spirit is in each side of one of us, we have learned how to share all things together. Teaching, learning, meals, prayer, fellowship, and friendship. And who they were doing it with was probably the most compelling part of the message because it didn't matter who you were or where you came from. Because of God and you were made in his image and because of Jesus, you bore dignity and rights. And so it's spreading. Now, I understand this is a one-time deal in salvation history. I understand that it was a unique set of circumstances, but I also believe there's some core DNA for what it means to be a part of God's family a part of his assembly, a part of his gathering, and a part of his church in this text. So quite simply, here's the way that I'd love to paraphrase this for you, is sharing makes the family work. That's the big point for tonight. We kind of adopted that into our family about 10 years ago when we had more than one kid and everyone turned into a bunch of selfish sinners. <laughs> so I would say sharing makes the family work, right? I would say it to Simon, my oldest I would say, Simon, sharing, and he would say, makes the family work. Why? Because he's a firstborn rule follower and loves to flaunt the fact that he knows the answer to questions to infuriate his brothers and sisters. <laughs> Abigail shows up. She wasn't so much on me saying it to her, but her saying it to me, especially when she caught me with a Hershey's bar hiding in the closet. And she's like, Daddy, sharing makes the family work. <laughs> And it was only when she wanted stuff, not when she wanted to, we heard to part ways with her stuff. Maggie shows up and she just takes this bottom line statement, sharing makes the family work, straight into nonverbal terrorism. So she's third child wild. She'd walk straight up to you, look you in the eyes while you're playing with something. She would snatch and grab and take off like her hair was on fire. And that was her way of saying sharing makes the family work. Then we had a fourth child and he's the baby and he gets everything he wants. And so I'm trying to adapt this phrase for Christopher to self-denial makes the family work, but <laughs> doesn't have the same ring to it. My wife gives it to me when, you know, she's off to the hair salon to pretend like she's not going gray, even though I tell her silver foxes are sexy. And I said, we don't need to pay that money for that. And she says, Chris, share, it makes the family work. <laughs> When we get in bed at night, I'll look at her and say, Sharon makes the family work. <laughs> covers, guys, covers. <laughs> Share the covers. What's wrong with this place? I'll need to read your Bible some more. 
God forbid we have a healthy view of sexuality and marriage. Oh, I'd really screw you guys up. So let me break it down. Here, here, here we go. Why should we share? How should we share? And when should we share? Okay. So uh, actually, first, let's do what should we share? It's plain and simple. You can read it in the text. Find it for yourself. There's learning and teaching, food, fellowship, and friendship. And just so we're clear, in that context, in that culture, an invitation into someone's home and to share a meal with them was an invitation and a friendship. This is why Jesus was getting in trouble for eating with tax collectors and sinners. It wasn't because of what he was eating. It was because that was seen as a sign of friendship. I believe the front door of our homes and our kitchens are now the new front door to the church. I think we need to learn how, once again, to throw great parties, share meals, and have fellowship and friendship freely to offer people. Sometimes I wonder if our first move for someone who's outside of Christ or skeptical to the claims needs to be an invitation to our kitchen, not to our church. And then maybe they could taste and see that the Lord is good and be more willing to enter in to increasing levels of commitment within the family. Then it's also prayer and petitions, right? You're sharing your dreams and disappointments. You're not just giving your best version of yourself. You're also confessing your sin one to another that you might be healed. You're sharing your disappointments, but you're also sharing, hey, I think God might be doing this. And would you pray for me? And would you lay hands on me? And would you bless me and send me out? And let's figure it out how I fit into this family. So that's what we should share. Why should we share? Because God wants us to. That's not meant to be some arrogant preacher statement, but watch this. I'm going to summarize some heady theological words uh, for you guys. This is from the Edenic covenant, which is the covenant God made with Adam and Eve in Eden, all the way to the Great Commission, all the way to Revelation. All right, you ready for it to be summarized? God wants a family and sharing makes the family work. You're welcome. There you go. That's the full message of scripture right? He was so excited on the fellowship that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had that he created male and female in his own image, and he wanted to bless them. And then he said to Abraham, which is the Abrahamic covenant, I want to bless you so that you can bless every single family on earth. Why? Because what I want more than anything is a spiritual family to gather them together and allow them to flourish in my presence with my power and my provision. Awesome. Jesus shows up. He commissions us. What? Go make disciples, learners, the family of Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Revelation ends with an incredible feast, the marriage supper, where the church marries Jesus and there's a party and we all come to the table together for new wine in his new kingdom. What God wants more than anything is a family. And sharing makes that family work. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, that's great, but there's loopholes. Here's how I can get out of not being committed to a community or a church. How do I know that? Because I've done it before. So in uh, full revelation, uh, revelation, self-disclosure, um, I started out in ministry after seminary. I moved to South Carolina. I was in a ministry with uh, some of my close friends. And we did a Tuesday night gathering uh, like this. Uh, called Engage. It was not directly a part of a local church because no local church wanted us to fund it or source it. And there was nothing for young adults at the time. So we did that. And that was a place where I was sharing teaching. I was sitting underneath other people's teaching. And I was also able to teach. And it was awesome. On the weekends, I was traveling and teaching in churches. Um, and I tell you what, I probably, during that season of my life, have stepped foot in over 500 churches, and 90% of them smell like grandma's house with plastic still on the couch. 
And I was, they were boring and I was exhausted and I was tired of church, if I could just be frank with you. And we moved to that place and I tried to find a church and it also to full disclosure, at the time I was a preaching snob, fresh out of seminary. Here's what people should say. Here's what they shouldn't say. I had an ear that could not hand, handle condemnation or lack of grace or the lack of the presence of the gospel. And I decided, am I going to be bored or upset at what I'm hearing in churches on Sunday morning when I'm home? And I tried to rationalize, hey, I have everything present, right? I've got a group over here. I've got accountability in my life. I'm sharing. I'm in a tight-knit community with my friends. I'm actually in church when I'm on the road. Is that good enough, God? I just felt like this is for me. That he whispered to me, hey, Chris, if you want to change my bride, maybe you need to love her first. And the church is the bride of Christ. And for some of us who want to criticize and condemn, maybe we should actually learn to love the very thing that Jesus loves. Is she perfect? No. Is she full of flaws and foibles? Absolutely. Do we need to hold her hand? You bet. And so we found a small little church, and it was awkward and goofy and weird and wonderful. And the Lord began to detox me from my cynicism and my criticism and he allowed me to get up close and personal with families there, and they helped our family out, and it was such a time of refreshing. I showed up thinking, oh, I have everything to offer this church, and they had everything to offer me in my arrogance, and I didn't even know it. What God wants more than anything is a family, and sharing makes that family work. Here's another reason why we should share. Jesus does it. Um, John 17, 21, high priestly prayer, because by the way, uh, I like it when uh, sometimes I'll say share makes the family work and God wants a family. You're like, well, what about God's glory? Uh, I totally get it. It's a great thing. Um, but here's what God does with his glory. Because if you have any problem with Jesus and God in scripture, it's that they share too much with us. John 17, 21, high priestly prayer. Jesus says, Father, the glory you have given me, what do I do with it? It's all mine. No one can touch it. No, I share it with them. I give it to my disciples. Then you have uh, Romans 5, 2 that reminds us, because of our faith in Christ has brought us into a place of privilege in which we now stand, we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. God's got a problem. It's a sharing problem. He's taking his glory and he's sharing it with us. He's sharing it with his son who's sharing it with us because we're a part of the family. And some of you are going, whoa, 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 Chris. What about Isaiah 42, 8? God says, I am God and there is no other. And I will not share my glory with another. Great, good use of that scripture. Two things. One, contextually, he's talking about false idols. Two, it's a prophecy about the Messiah, who is Jesus, who he gives his glory to, and what does Jesus do with that glory? What God wants more than anything is a family, and Sharon makes the family work. So by now, some of you are like, so what? Great theological obstacle course, Chris. That's one tough mutter. Good job. I get it. Why should I be a part of a church? And some of you face a, a similar temptation because we got a lot of musicians and some of you travel and you make your living being in churches on weekends, yet you're ignoring the church in your hometown. And some of us, 
when we show up to a church service, we might as well just hand you a pogo stick because you're just going to hop. Ba-boing, 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 ba-boing. You're just a consumer looking for another religious experience who's deathly afraid of being committed and being known and being accountable, that you're not just a taker, but you also have something to give. I wonder what it would look like if we actually truly believed that the church is the hope of the world and it's supposed to be an outpost of heaven where people are coming together, sharing learning and teaching, food, fellowship and friendship, prayers and petitions, dreams and disappointments. Then maybe it would radiate from the inside out. Will it ever be perfect? Not this side of heaven. But thanks be to God, we have a perfect God who has given us a place at the table. Let me tell you why this is important and close to my heart. Not because I went through a season where I tried to justify not being part of a local church. Um, but uh, I grew up in a small church where we had 70 on high attendance Sundays. Um, and that's probably counting people in preschool twice. Um, and when I was 13 years old, um, my dad took off and left my mom for another woman. And the church that I thought was judgmental, arrogant, awkward, weird and irrelevant took care of my mom encouraged her men in the church started dropping by to check on my brother and me was it still weird and awkward sure but that's family right and then I found out later that some of his friends in the church were writing him letters praying for him and begging him to come home and to repent and it gets even more awkward and weird because that's back in old school religion in small town churches. He finally came home and he stood up in front of our church and repented and asked for forgiveness and said, I'd like to be a member of this family again if you'll have me. That's why a local church is important to me. It saved my family. May not have saved yours, may not save your marriage, but I don't know about you. I want to be a part of a community and a church where you're not allowed to run and you're not allowed to hide. And when you do, someone's coming after you. I want to be a place where I'm known, where not only do I have something to give and share, but I can actually admit I need something. And would you be willing to share it with me? And I need your patience and your perseverance as I figure out all my faults and foibles and I use and abuse people and I jump around. I just want to know what it's like to belong and to be loved. And understand that when I'm a part of God's church, his bride, his assembly, his ecclesia, his community, that means rights and privileges, but also responsibilities. And I want to be a contributing member of the family. A lot of people would say, oh, Chris, it's institutionalized now. It doesn't look the same way. I get that. Maybe we need to bring back some more of these core elements and elevate them. You may say, does signing a card make me a member of a church? Do I really need to formalize the process? Some of you are like, hey, I'm just a student here for four years. Probably going to be five, so let's go ahead and commit. <laughs> just haven't found the right one. It doesn't exist. Uh, church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Congratulations, you'll be welcomed. <laughs> That's what it's for. We're, we all are. So let's just, let's put that on the table. That's no longer an excuse. That's why we need the church family. And I would say that, man, it's interesting. I apply certain logic for certain areas of my life, but then totally dismiss it in other areas. 
It's just a piece of paper. I don't need to really commit to anything. You know, I can worship God in the woods. That is true. I do it as well. But I also need to be a part of a consistent community that holds me accountable and encourages me. What if I told my wife when we were getting married, hey, we really don't need a piece of paper. We don't got to formalize it, right? You really don't need a signature on this wedding license, do you? You know, we're, we're, we can just do everything married people do. It's no big deal. How about if, you're, if your college told you that junk when you graduated? Hey, it's been a great four years, man. We learned together. We hung out in class. We taught. You learned. You got connected. You had everything that the college experience offers. Yeah, hand me that diploma. Oh, why are you trying to formalize it? <laughs> Do you really need something that signifies the fact that you were committed and you fulfilled requirements of membership? I, or how about this? Like, uh, uh, again, there's no way around getting hurt in a family of God. You're going to get hurt in any family or community. It's just the nature of people there. But uh, a lot of times people have very valid experiences and are cautious and skeptical. I get it. I totally get it. I've been there. But in relationships, we've been hurt before and yet we continue to pursue them. Or how about this as a parent? What if when Christopher was learning how to walk, the first time he fell down and hurt himself, I'm like, oh my gosh, don't try it again. Don't get up. Let's crawl to your 27, okay? It'll be, no, no, don't ever risk that again. I understand I'm not trying to make light of the hurts and the things that have happened. And some of them are serious and consequential. And I know you'll spend years working through them. What I am saying is the church is still God's plan for salvation here on earth through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is his bride and he's coming back for his bride. And I don't know about you, whether you crawled or walked in here spiritually, what would it take for you once again to try to commit to the family of God and realize not only do they have something you desperately need, they desperately need what you're going to bring. Amen? So let's take 120 seconds. And here's the listening prayer exercise I'd love for us to do. We're going to put the first part of that scripture back up. And if you want to journal or listen or write on your phone, here's two questions I'd love for you to ask yourself and invite the Holy Spirit in on the conversation. What are those things listed that were happening in the church? Can you actually bring to the family and share? What has God equipped you to share in his family? Teaching? Hey, I'm great at meal sharing. Hey, I'm great at prayer. What is the one thing that you go, yeah, I'd love to offer that. And then what's one thing in here that you would say, you know what? I need to humble myself and admit I need someone to share that with me. I need more of that in my life. And I've been dry and desperate for it for a long time and I haven't had the courage to ask for it. What has God designed you to share in his family? And what do you need shared with you? Let's listen together.